Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. If you got your Bibles, turn to James 4. James 4. Before I jump into what we're going to be talking about, this is Pastor Andrew back here, my friend, my good man. Um, so what, what is he doing back here? You're like, why is he playing? Um, it's not just to make this room feel more spiritual. It's kind of some of it. It's not all of it. Um, the Bible is really clear about the power of music. The Bible is really clear about it. In fact, we have this one story um, with Saul and with David. Saul was the king of Israel. Um, and as a lot of us know, Saul was uh, by far not a perfect king. In fact, at one point, he was so consumed by evil, he was like tormented. If you guys don't believe in the demonic, it's real. The, uh, Saul was so overcome by evil, he was, there was this, this terror that was on his life and his heart. It was this, this weight and this heaviness. So what does Saul do? He calls for David. David was a harp player. Now, harps aren't as cool anymore, so we just switched to acoustic guitars over here. Scripture talks about as soon as David started playing his harp over Saul, Scripture literally says, you can find it yourself in 1 Samuel, it says that the evil literally lifted from Saul, like Saul was relieved from that. So this isn't just like to, to set a mood, but it's actually, there's power in prophetic music. And, and here's why, here's why, as we've been going through this book of James, last week Pastor Tim talked about how God transforms. Pastor Tim was talking about how God um, uses our tongue for either life or we use it for death. And Pastor Tim had a beautiful point that a lot of us hear messages about, you know, uh, the way we use our words or our actions. And we, we come into church ready to kind of change and modify our behavior. A lot of times we come into church, okay, how can I be a better person? How can I act more Christian? How can I be more of this? And the reality is we take that, that stance a lot. But what I think Pastor Tim so beautifully said yesterday, or last week, was that God is, he absolutely wants to see transformation in, in our lives, externally, what we see, what we hear, but ultimately he's going after our heart. God's going after some deep things in our hearts. I really sense that. As I've been praying for us, I sense that God is doing some deep work in our hearts. So if you came to church tonight, if you came to service tonight ready to hear about behavior modification, you came to the wrong place. Because what I'm going to talk to you all about tonight is completely about the heart. In fact, what I'm talking about today could actually be completely faked on the outside. Everything looking good out here, but internally things are actually really jacked up. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 23. He says, he was talking about the Pharisees. He says, okay, you Pharisees, you're so good at cleaning the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. And before we point fingers, isn't that like us all of the time? We work so hard to, to work on this image, what people see, what people perceive. But if we were honest with ourselves, there's a lot of actually deeper, broken things inside of us. And I say that, I know that because just 20 minutes ago, I was behind that back row wrestling with God. 
wasn't planning on, this, on sharing this. I, I was wrestling with God. Surrender is a hard thing. Surrender is something that I'm working on right now. I can sing about God all I want, and I know God is awesome, but there's just some things in my life that I really love that mean a lot to me, and it is so hard to lay them down sometimes because of the suspicion that God is not good. It's really hard to let that go, but even as I'm speaking to you today, God is doing deep work in my heart, and I am here to tell you today that God is doing deep work in your heart tonight. So here's what I want us to do. From the very get-go, I want, us, I want you to just put your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your heart. If you're willing for God to do some deep work in you tonight, if you're willing for God to mess with you a little bit, to challenge you a little bit, put your hand on your heart. And just be aware of His presence right now. That same presence of God that was here when we were singing and worshiping is here right now. I'm going to read James 4, 1 through 10. We've got 10 verses. Don't check out, but, but lean into these words. If you want to read along, feel free. James 4, 1 through 10. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Everyone say passions. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Everyone say passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you feel the weight of what James is saying right off the bat? <laughs> or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will Flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Is anyone ready for God to do some deep work in their heart tonight? If that's you, put your hand in your heart as we pray. Holy Spirit, we give you space to move and we give you space to work. We give you access, God. We make room for you. We turn off the distractions. We, we put it all aside for a moment. And we simply say, come Holy Spirit, not just coming by a feeling, but come by your scripture, come by your word, and let it do deep work in us. Sacred work. I ask for 
the weight and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to fall upon this place. And God, additionally, I ask for the joy and the hope of who you are to cause us to rejoice in what you are challenging us and inviting us into tonight. It's weighty, but it's joyful. It's the hardest thing we'll ever have to do, God, but at the same time, it is the most beautiful thing we could ever do, is to give our lives completely to you, to give our hearts completely to you. So if you're ready for the Lord to mess with you tonight, say amen. <laughs> a lot of you said amen. Okay. Friends, did you know that there is a war of passions inside of you? Right here and right now. As you sit in this church building, as you sit next to your friends or strangers, as you sit in this place, there is a war of passions going on inside of you. Now, if you serve at New Life Junior High, you already know why this chair is here, and you already know what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going, but just stay with me, because we're going to go even a little bit deeper than I did. I shared this message at New Life Junior High, but don't you dare check out on me just because I said it's the 7th and 8th graders. We need this tonight. We need this tonight. There is a war of passions within us. I want to go back to James 4, verses 1 through 5. You can read along on the slides, or you can just listen to my voice. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Then in verse 3, I'm going to skip down. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Everyone say passions. Then James gets real friendly. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Enmity also can mean like separation or there's striving in between the two. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. <laughs> Once again, James being very kind to his readers. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously, God jealously desires our spirit that he has made to dwell within us. What I love about James is that he leaves absolutely no room for middle ground. Either we are friends with God or we are friends with the world. Either our passions drive us toward the Lord or they drive us away from him. God in his goodness, God in his kindness leaves absolutely no room for mediocrity. And this brings up something that I actually see as one of the greatest struggles in our generation. And it would be summed up in this one word, duality. Everyone say duality. Duality. Now that's probably a term that not many of us are comfortable or familiar with. So I want to define duality as this. Duality is defined as two different things coexisting in the same place or in the same space. Two different things coexisting in the same space. So my man Josh Lau, you know the drill. Can you come up here real quick? Thanks, Josh. I like your hair growing out, bro. It looks great. It looks great. Okay. Duality versus singularity. Here's what James is saying. Let's imagine this chair as the throne of our hearts. This is the posture of our hearts. And when we tell Jesus, yes, 
like I did 10 years ago at that seventh grade retreat, when we say yes to Jesus, when we say, I'm going to give you my life, I'm going to give you my heart, here's the thing, is that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he takes the whole seat. He takes the throne of our hearts. God jealously desires our hearts. That's what James 4 is talking about. Now, here's what duality looks like. Duality looks like something else trying to coexist in that same space. Coexisting things. Does this look a little awkward? Okay, cool. It's about to get more awkward, so it's great. <laughs> and, and here's what this looks like practically in our lives. So that a lot of us say yes to Jesus. Okay, God, I'm going to give you my passion. Okay, I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my time. But I'm also really passionate about this one relationship. This one relationship. What this person says about me or what this group thinks about me kind of means everything. Does anyone track with me so far what this is looking like? Or, or maybe some of you, it's, you know, God has the throne of your heart, but then, then there's just this, this sport or this hobby or this passion. And, and maybe it kind of looks like this. Okay, so, so yeah, absolutely. I love God. God has my heart. God has my passion. Absolutely. I'll show up on Wednesday nights. I'll even serve at New Life Junior High. And I'll sign up for student discipleship and I'll come to retreat. I love you if that's you, by the way. That's awesome. That was totally me. I like dropped all my hobbies just to be a church kid. I loved it. A lot of us can do all that, but, but slowly we allow other passions to take more and more space. Before we know it, God is no longer on the throne of our hearts. There is a war of passions going on inside of you. But, but James is so kind to us. In fact, he says that, that God is only satisfied with this. God jealously desires our whole heart. What's the great commandment? What's the great commandment? Thank you, Tobin, my guy. Love the Lord your God with some of your heart, some of your soul, some of your mind, some of your strength. Now let's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. You see, James is calling the people of God to live a life of singularity. You can sit down, Josh. Thanks, man. God is calling his people to live a life of singularity. This isn't just found in James. In fact, there's another story in Matthew 19. Making sure I said that. Yeah, Matthew 19. Jesus is teaching and this rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And he says, hey teacher, hey, what, what, do, I need to be, what, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, okay, well like, what's the great commandment? We just said it, what's the great commandment? All right, we read the ESV, the NIV, and I heard the Passion Translation in there somewhere. <laughs> it's probably for the person wearing denim because they're a worship leader. All right. <laughs> He says, what's the great commandment? He says it, okay, and, and the second one is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And this rich young ruler looks at Jesus and says, okay, I've done all of that. I've done all of that. I've, I've dotted all my I's and I've crossed all my T's. Is there anything else I need to do? And Jesus looks at him and he says, there's this one thing that you lack. There's one thing. I want you to take all of your possessions and I want you to give it all to the poor. Give it all away. Give it all away. 
And the rich young ruler, scripture says, walks away sad. He walks away disappointed. Now, I don't think this is necessarily about material possessions. I don't think Jesus was saying, uh, if you have stuff, you're not going to be in the kingdom. I don't think that's necessarily what Jesus is getting at. It's like what Pastor Tim was talking about last week. Jesus is so interested in the heart. Jesus is so invested in the heart. God jealously desires your whole heart. Your whole heart. If you've been here with us at New Life Students for the past year or so, you would have heard this phrase by now. What is the treasure of your life? What is the treasure of your life? And your mind might be going, okay, I've already heard this. I already know this. We've already preached on this. You sound just like your twin, Pastor Tim. That is true, but repetition is everything. Because guess what? I've been following Jesus for 10 years, but I'm back here during worship having to make that same Surrender again, Jesus, you are treasure of my life. And there's nothing else. It's a daily decision we have to make. So what gets in the way of singularity? What gets in the way of it? There's two things, I think, primarily. You could break down a lot more, but there's two. The first one is this. You can write this down. The first one is ourselves. Everyone say me. What gets in the way of singularity? Living a single devotion for Jesus. It's me. It's us. It's our pride. Our fears that if I give God my everything, I'll be disappointed. Oswald Chambers says the root of all evil is the suspicion that God is not good. If I gave God my everything, is it even going to be worth it? Or our pride, I don't need God, I don't, I don't need to give my everything. I've got this under control. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe, maybe there's an idol. Maybe there's an idol, a scripture that's been wrecking me recently. It's just been absolutely just annihilating my heart, genuinely, is Genesis 22. And it's the story of Abraham, and up until this point, God has promised Abraham over and over and over again, hey, you're going to have a son, and you're going to have um, nations from your, from your birth line. And, you know, him and his wife can't even have a, a one child yet. But after years and years of God promising, and after years and years of Abraham waiting, here comes Isaac. And a lot of us just kind of stopped the story right there, like, oh, awesome. Isaac came, and Abraham saw God be faithful. And that's true. But then in Genesis 22, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. God asks him an unthinkable question. He says, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. Sounds pretty cruel of God if you ask me. In fact, God asking you to give up what you are most passionate about, surrendering those things to the Lord, living your life open hand saying, God, do whatever you want to do with me. If you tell me to talk to that person, I'll do it. If you tell me to lay this down, I'll lay it down. If you tell me to pick this up, I'll pick this up. Sometimes it can almost feel like God is cruel with us. That God asks us really difficult things, and he does. <laughs> At least that's what Genesis 22 tells me. God asks us for really difficult things. Sometimes why? Not because he's cruel, but God jealously desires our whole heart. He jealously wants your whole heart. All of it. 
I really don't think God wanted a child dead. (laughs) I don't think that's how God works. He's too kind for that. But I do think God was very jealous for Abraham's heart. He was saying, Abraham, I want all of you. Can you trust me with the promise I gave you? Can you trust me with that thing you hold closest to your heart? Abraham had been waiting for this child for years and years. And as soon as he gets it, as soon as he gets that promise fulfilled, as soon as he has that child, God says, now give it right back to me. And a lot of us stop right there. And we just try to say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. Thanks for, thanks for my Isaac. But I'm going to live a life of duality now. I'll still love God. I'll still serve God. I'll even sing the songs. I'll show up to church. But I'm, I'm holding on to this. I'm going to do this my own way. But we see Abraham choose the way of singularity. The next day he gets up and he obeys. And right before he's going to kill Isaac, like this is unthinkable. But God comes and says, no, now I know you trust me. Now I know that you fear the Lord. Now I know that you live a life of singularity. Abraham chose to lay down what was most precious to him. What could have been an idol in his life, what could have been an idol in his heart, Abraham willingly laid it down. He laid it down. And what do we see? God was faithful. Isaac lived. Isaac had kids. Isaac's kids had kids. Isaac's kids' kids had a lot of kids. (laughs) Twelve of them. (laughs) All the way to Jesus. God was faithful. We can trust God. We can trust his intentions. So for those of you who are carrying something tonight, just hear me say, hey, you can trust God. You don't have to be like Adam and Eve. You don't have to be worried that God isn't good. You can be absolutely convinced that God is good. You can trust him. So I think we get in our own way when it comes to singularity. Even James talks about this. James 4, 5 through verse 7 says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, God jealously yearns over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Guys, we're here tonight to submit ourselves to God. To bring our pride, to bring our fears, to bring the idols that we've carried in here. Tonight's going to be a night where we get to surrender that fresh. And remember, (laughs) this is a daily thing. Probably every day of 2020, I've had to surrender passions inside of my heart towards the Lord. Literally every day saying, God, this is, this is what I want to see you do. This is what I want to be a part of, God. This is, like, would you use me in this way? God, like, all of these passions inside of me. I'm, like, a pretty passionate person. You can ask my wife. I'm pretty ambitious. Like, anytime I'm like, hey, Preem, like, I think I have an idea. She gets, like, nervous. It's, like, date night. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> what dream is it this time? Like, what goal is it this time? I get, I get pretty ambitious like that. I'm a really passionate person, but God has challenged me so much in the past, man, 30 days, day after day. Hey, I know you have these passions. Can you lay it down? 
Or are you going to live a life of duality with those passions? Am I going to sit here and your passions are going to try and compete for my throne? Ooh, it's hard. It's okay if I'm vulnerable with you guys tonight. Is that okay? Is that chill? Okay. Thanks, guys. I trust you all. So we get in our own way of singularity, but I think the enemy gets in the way for sure. The enemy absolutely gets in the way. The enemy wages war through the desires of our flesh. The enemy wages war through the desires of our flesh. That's why James says, after he says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil. Resist the devil. The devil's trying to stir up the passions inside of your heart. I'm not saying the devil is trying to stir up your passion for soccer. Like I'm not, don't take this too far. But if we could all be honest in this place, we all have sinful desires, sinful passions. We're all tempted. The enemy is, the enemy uses different things. For some people, he tries to trip you up with anxiety. With some of you, he tries to isolate you, like, like what Pastor Tim was saying. For some of you, it's a sexual sin. You guys know. You guys know your heart. You guys know where you're, where you're at right now. But the enemy absolutely tries to let our sinful desires share a seat with God. He tries. But the one who lives in a singular way, singular devotion to God, resists the devil. And what I love is that James doesn't say, hey, like, resist the devil, and leaves it there. But I love the promise he puts at the second half of the verse. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, the enemy tries. He tries to question Jesus' identity. He tries to make Jesus compromise, and Jesus resists the devil. And Scripture says that the enemy ran from him. The enemy couldn't do it. I think sometimes we give the enemy more credit than he deserves. The enemy's defeated, guys. Jesus wasn't on the cross saying it's kind of finished. Jesus was on the cross and said it is finished. And I just want to pause there real quick. I, I just feel like some of you here, even as I'm saying that, some of you feel trapped in sin right now. Some of you feel trapped like I've been, like Pastor Victor, you don't even know, like I've been dealing with this sin for years. Or I've been dealing with this, with this crutch for years. I can't, I can't get over it. I've tried everything. I've tried to pray. You know, I've, I've just tried to fight hard. And I want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to know here in the presence of the Lord, the enemy is defeated. And I'm not belittling what you're going through. Pain is real. We live in a broken world. We live in the now but not yet. The kingdom of God has come, but it has not yet fully come. And that's a mystery. And we, I don't get why all of these things happen. I don't get why we can't just live a painless, free, easy life. But the reality is there's still brokenness. But here's what I do know is that God comes near to the broken. God comes near to those who submit themselves to God. So for those of you who feel like you are stuck and it's hopeless and you'll never get out of it, step into the light and believe the truth tonight. You have a God who's fighting for you. You have a God who's fighting for you. Now I want to give you two practical things that I've found in my life that have been so helpful. And I want you to write this down. How do we resist the devil? 
Can anyone from uh, junior high say that? Does anyone remember? This is really vulnerable. If you don't remember, I'm going to be so hurt, but that's okay. I have my notes. Any junior high leaders, you guys remember? How do we fight the enemy? We bring it to two places. Caleb. Come on. We bring it to the Lord, and we bring it to the light. Any sin you're carrying right now, you bring it to the Lord, and you bring it to the light. Scripture says, cast your cares on the Lord, for he cares. Because the reality is, is Scripture is really clear. Nothing is hidden from the sight of God. He sees it all. What you're wrestling with, what you're struggling with, God already sees it. The question is, do we have the humility, like we said earlier in, in the message, like, God, I give you permission to inhabit my brokenness? I think we see this in Scripture, actually. We see it with Saul and we see it with David. Both kings, both anointed, both with a calling. Same, same scenario, both broken people. But why does Saul's life end in death and despair and brokenness? And why does David's life end being known as the man after God's own heart? I think the biggest difference between the two was that one gave access to God in their brokenness and one did not. When Saul's brokenness shows, what does he do? He hides and he makes excuses and he points the blame and he points the finger. In his brokenness, he, he just kind of hides it. Kind of like Adam and Eve when they sin, they, they try to hide from God. But then we can contrast it with the life of David. And David, when his brokenness shows, when he commits adultery, he's found in his sin. This is where Psalm 51 comes. This is where David comes to the Lord. He comes before him. He says, I have sinned against you, O Lord. I've sinned. So just know you are not the only one tonight dealing with brokenness and sin in your life. But the question is, will you bring it to the Lord tonight? Will you bring it to the Lord? Or will you allow sinful desires to compete with God on the throne of your heart? Bring it to the Lord, and then bringing it to the light. Here's what I mean by that. God does his best work in the light, and the enemy does his best work in the darkness. And I have found it true in my own life, with sins that I've wrestled with for years, when I brought it to people, when I brought it to trusted mentors, pastors in my life, and close friends in my life, and said, hey, this is what's been going on. Man, I was shocked at the grace I found from them. I was shocked at the grace and the kindness that I found from them. And you know what that did? It didn't enable me to sin more or to do it more. In in fact, I found grace to continue on in the journey of holiness, to continue on in this thing called a life of singularity. All of a sudden, I found the grace to run the race all over again. That's what happens when we bring our sin, when we bring our struggles to the Lord and to the light. So tonight, once again, your invitation is if you are dealing with something, if there is a sin, if there is a wrestle, if there is a struggle in your heart, and I know it's here tonight, I want you to go to myself, Pastor Tim, Catherine, Chase, your small group leader, but go to someone trusted tonight and ask for prayer, and I guarantee you will not find condemnation there. 
but you will find grace meeting you right where you are. We bring it to the Lord and we bring it to the light. The two things that stop us from singularity in general is ourselves and the enemy. We get in our own way and the enemy tries to throw our sins at us. So how do we live? How do we live in singularity? Let's make this practical. How, how do we do this? So say you're here tonight and you're saying, okay, Pastor Victor, I hear you. I want Jesus to have all of me, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. This war of passions, I want, it, I want Jesus at the throne room of my heart. If that's you tonight, I love that James doesn't just leave us with the problem, but he leaves us with the solution. I want you now to turn to James 4.8. This is one of the most powerful scriptures in the word. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Brothers and sisters, the first way we live in singularity is to live a life of worship. Everyone say worship. You see, singularity is not just a no to something. It's not just saying, okay, I'm kicking things off of this, this throne of my heart. I'm kicking people off. I'm kicking things off. No, no, no. But, but a life of singularity is saying, and the thing that I'm fixing my singular devotion on is worthy. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't kick off the passions that mean so much to me right now if God wasn't worthy of it. Like I think sometimes we make Christianity all about the things you can't do or, or the things you have to let go of or the things you have to get rid of. And we spend far too little time talking about how worth it God is. That's what worship is, right? Literally the, the definition of worship is ascribing worth. When we sing, awesome is our strong God. When we sing, holy, 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 what we are saying is, is that God, you are so worth my singular devotion. You're so worth the things that I've laid down. You are so worth my time. You are so worth my effort. You are so worth my affection. You're worth it. I'm not just saying no to things to be a better person. I'm saying no to these things so I can say yes to the greater thing. I'm saying no to the lesser things so I can say yes to the greater things. Have you guys ever noticed, and there's maybe like a 1% who can, but have you noticed that the majority of us can't focus on two different things with both of our eyes, like we can't, can't split our eyes. <laughs> Maybe unless you're really weird and you can. <laughs> Don't show me. <laughs> you ever notice that? I think that's actually so intentional by God to remind us that our eyes and the focus of our heart, the focus of what we spend our time doing really all goes to one thing. Like I can't look at Tobin and, and I can't look at Isaiah at the same time. Like I can't, I can't do that. My eyes won't do that. Isn't it the same way with our hearts? That's why duality doesn't work. Jesus explicitly said you can't serve God and money. You can't have two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. This is the reality of what worship does. Is, is worship takes us living a life of duality. Worship takes us to a place of singularity singularity okay God I love this thing and, and I want this person to like me God I want this but oh God you're holy and you gave your life for me Jesus you are the treasure of my life you're the treasure 
Everything else doesn't matter anymore. My eyes have now been locked into one place. I had to turn. I couldn't walk backwards like Pastor Tim does. I'm not a stare ninja like this man. You guys doing okay? Are you guys with me? You guys good for like five more minutes? Give me a thumbs up if you're good for five more minutes. I know we're going deep tonight, but I know God is doing some work in us tonight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The way we live out singularity is worship. And secondly, it's confession. Everyone say confession. It's not a common word you hear anymore in the church. Probably because it's one of the least fun words in the church. (laughs) Confession. But James 4, 8 talks about this. Can we pull James 4, 8 up? James 4, 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Scripture says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. <laughs> cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, typically in, the, in Scripture, when it talks about cleansing of hands, it also talks about this in Psalm 24, hands typically sig- uh, signified external things, things that you do, things that you say. So, so what you guys can perceive me doing and saying that would be like cleansing my hands of saying, okay, God, anything that I've said to offend anyone or anything I have done that people have known that I've done, like that's, that's cleansing your hands. And God is saying, clean them. Clean your hands for the things that you have done. But then when he says purify your heart, he's talking about the internal things. So if cleansing your hands is the external, purifying your heart is the internal work of God cleansing something deep inside. And I think when we hear the word purity, we think about oftentimes like sexual purity. Like live clean, live free. But actually one of the definitions of purity is something that is undefiled. Something undefiled. Something pure, something white. I would argue that another definition of impure is duality. It's not one thing. Like you can't have something that's white coexisting with something that's like blue. You'll get a weird mix. Before you know it, you won't even recognize the white anymore. If you want something pure white, it can't be mixed with anything else. It can't be mixed with any other colors. And this is what James is calling us to do. He's calling us to live a life of worship and he's calling us to live a life of confession. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then cleanse your hands, the external things, and purify your heart with the internal things. Now I've talked long enough. (laughs) I've said a lot. And what I love about James 4 is that there's a bunch of action words of, of drawing near and cleansing your hands, purifying your heart. There's so much action to this and we'd be, mess, we'd be messing it up tonight if we just heard these things. We said a quick, sang a quick song, said a blessing and got out of here. We need to create a space for God to actually do this inside of our heart. We all put our hand on our heart to say, God, you can do deep work in me. So now's the time to make space and make room for God to do that. So without anyone talking, I want you guys just to find a space around here in this room. Go quick. We have about 15 minutes to do this. Go as fast as you can. Just find a space for you and the Lord to to have a chat.
Come, Holy Spirit. Would you do a deep work in us, God? You can look at me if you want, or you can just keep your eyes closed. doesn't matter. But I just want you to hear this. He's calling you to live a life of worship, and he's calling you to live a life of confession, a way of saying, I singularly live for you, Lord. So I think there's two things that we have to do tonight. First one is this. We have to figure out what we're carrying. What is competing for our worship? What is competing for the throne of our hearts? Like I said, it could be a fear that God's going to disappoint you. He's going to let you down. It could be pride that says you don't need God, that God's never been helpful to you anyway. (laughs) And I think for a lot of us, there's just some idols that just need to be laid down. So I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to be there (laughs) on the final day (laughs) when you and Jesus finally meet face to face. I want you to have that conversation with Jesus right now. I want you to identify what God is calling you to lay down and then in your own way do it. If you have to get on your knees, if you have to journal about it, whatever you got to do, but this is holy ground tonight. So I'm just going to leave some space. Go ahead. Lay it down. As we stay in this moment, I also know that some of us, maybe we really resonate with the worship part of it. And we, okay, God, I want to give you all of my worship, all of me. But I think there are some of us here tonight that resonate with that second part of confession. That there's been a sin you've been wrestling with in your life for a really long time. 
or even just recently. And it feels like it's something you can't beat or you can't win against. You can't triumph over. Guys, tonight is the night to bring it to the Lord and bringing it into the light. Tonight's the night. The Spirit of the Lord is here. And he's ready to receive you with grace. He is ready to heal you and he is ready to give you grace. So just for the next three or four minutes, Pastor Andrew's just gonna sing this song. It's called Draw Me Close. And it's a prayer of singularity saying, God, you are all I want and you're all I've ever needed. You're all that I want. Help me know that you are near. So as he's singing this, I want us all to stay in this posture of worship, but if that's you tonight and say, you know what, there's something I need prayer for. I need to bring this into the light. I want you to find myself, Pastor Tim, Pastor Chase, Catherine, one of our leaders, one of your small group leaders. But take the step tonight. Let's make God our singular devotion. Let's give him our worship tonight. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.